0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis
1: on the Air. People feign illness for a variety of reasons.
2: It's faked breast cancer and muscular dystrophy uh, has most likely defrauded some nonprofits.
1: On a phone line pretending to be two different people It took a lot of mental brain power to keep up the charade. I thought the motivations were just attention or sympathy, but actually the motivations are are much more complex. I'm Cindy
0: Collins, in for Sarah Fenske. Last month, veteran journalist Laura Beal's new podcast dropped on iHeartRadio. Laura is a former medical reporter for the Dallas Morning News, and her previous podcast, Dr. Death, earned more than 50 million downloads and became a Peacock original series. Her new podcast, called Sympathy Pains, tells the story of a woman from Highland, Illinois. Her name is Sarah DeLashmitt, and her decades of conning friends and acquaintances. Sarah told people she had cancer, she claimed she had muscular dystrophy, she claimed she was trapped in an abusive relationship or that her children had died. None of those things was true.
1: Sarah was never who she pretended to be. I looked right into her eyes and didn't see. Sarah, it was this different person,
3: and her eyes were absolutely black. Turns out there were a lot of Sarahs. She found these communities where she knew she wasn't gonna be questioned and she would try to find easy targets. I couldn't quite understand how she got away with all this for so long. It was just unbelievable. She was very obsessed with babies and very obsessed with pregnancies. Finally, she told one lie
2: too many. She found people who show a tremendous amount of empathy and she exploited that.
1: Her victims know exactly what Sarah did to them but they were faced with a problem. How do you find justice when no law has been broken, but you are? It was just unbelievable that somebody could be so cold and just heart, like just heartless. She will not stop because she does not know how to stop.
0: And that's from the podcast Sympathy Pains. It's now out on iHeartRadio and is the number one podcast in the U.S. on iTunes. Joining us now with a story behind the story is Laura Beal. She's the writer and producer of Sympathy Pains. Laura, welcome to St. Louis
1: on the Air. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Tell us about Sarah DeLashmet and what first piqued your interest in her story.
1: Well, when I first heard about this story, I was, uh, it was after she had been on national television already discussing the case, and I was introduced to Liz and Bethany, and in talking with them, I just got very interested. I mean, not only as journalists, of course, we're interested in just telling, you know, really unusual stories, but the complexity of the case also interested me, because you know, Sarah hurt a lot of people, but she herself also has mental health needs, clearly. and And so how to tell that story with um, how to tell that story and account for what she did and the pain she caused, but also recognizing that she herself has has mental health needs as as well, and kind of walking that line and telling that story. Just really interested me and I think you did
0: a great job of that in this podcast. It would have been very easy to demonize her, but you didn't and um, and it makes for a better podcast. Um, could you track Sarah's first lie, her origin story as it is?
1: Well, I didn't, but somebody else had there there was a woman from uh, who lives in South Carolina who had actually been tracking her for some for some time and so she was able to document. At least going back to high school in 2001, that Sarah was posting on kind of message boards. Uh, back then, I believe her first documented lie was that she said she was a mother of two children with muscular dystrophy, and um, and then when she got to college, uh, she told her college roommate and sweetmates that she had leukemia, and that was early on, as far as I can tell, like her first in-person lie. But of course, I don't know everything that happened in, in high school. Uh, she did not talk to me. And um, so I, I I can't say for sure. But it it did start early on, in her teens, for sure. Now,
0: she is from Highland, Illinois, which is just outside of, of St. Louis. Um, you mentioned that she started kind of posting fraudulent things in high school. Did she... Did she go full on into committing these frauds while she was in this area or did most of what she did happen um, outside the area? I know in the podcast you talk about some different camps and things that she went to.
1: Yeah, so w- I say this with a caveat that I don't know everything that um, that, that she did. There was certainly one uh, one woman who was a school teacher in St. Louis area in the St. Louis area who was one of the people that she targeted and she comes up in the fifth episode and So she was kind of lying. She, she was conning this woman from the St. Louis area um, and That's the only definite St. Louis incident that I know of but I, I I, can't say I know everything that she did I mean she was able to to hold a lot of stories in her head, and keep them straight, and keep them concurrent uh, for a long time, which does take a lot of mental strength, I, I must say.
0: That was one of the amazing things as I listened to the podcast that she had all these different things going at the same time—these different characters or these different illnesses that she was purporting to have—and yeah, I wondered how she kept it all straight.
1: I, I don't know. I I honestly I honestly don't know. She was able to even have like at one point a three-way call supposedly with one of the, you know, one of the people she targeted and she was on a phone line pretending to be two different people, uh, at the same time. And I, I don't, I don't know how, um, I don't know how she did that.
0: Apparently very convincingly because the person, the third person believed it. Um, you spent more than a year reporting on this story, Laura, Did you find it difficult to get the people who'd been manipulated by Sarah to talk to you? I mean, I know a lot of times the victims have, um, they can feel like there was something wrong with them that they were duped.
1: Yeah, I I didn't in the ones that I approached. I I think they wanted to tell their stories. And uh, so I, you know, obviously there's, there's some, but, but the people I, who are in the podcast, they, they, they were not reluctant to talk. They did want to keep their names private. And I think, some t- in, in some regard, they wanted to keep their names private because they didn't want to be Googleable for Sarah because she was pretty prolific on the internet.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Now, you mentioned that what first piqued your interest was seeing her on television. Was that the Dr. Phil show that you saw?
1: yeah I didn't see Dr. Phil until after the fact. okay so, uh, so I didn't watch it in in real time but because um, I'm not a daytime TV watcher um, but I, I did meet Liz and Bethany after the fact okay. and they okay. had been they had been on Dr. Phil with her
0: All right and that was in April of t- 2019. Let's listen to just a little piece of that.
3: I have a lying addiction. The last eight years, I've done all kinds of extreme measures to make my life seem more exciting. Growing up, you always want to have that perfect life. All my friends were getting married, and it made me feel left out. Around 25, 26 is when I told my first big lie, that I had cancer. I first joined the online support group and met people, and that's when I started living that lie. I would post pictures, stuff like, it's treatment day, can I have extra prayers and support? The things that I would do to change my look, to make my lie believable, was like buying wigs. I bought like, a wheelchair. By lying, I was getting attention. Another lie was that I was married. I started off with like a husband and two kids. That was my first husband story lie. I would tell people that my husband's name was James. I would post pictures of me and my ex, or me and my cousin, and then I'd also post pictures of my friend's children with me. I've also lied about having muscular dystrophy. I've worked at a muscular dystrophy camp in the past, so I'm familiar with the people and what their struggles are. It took a lot of mental brain power to keep up the charade. Laura, and in,
0: in that, interview, it sounds like she's coming clean and confessing to to what she had done. Was she? Was she coming
1: clean with that? Uh, well, uh, n- no. Well, in some ways, yes. But, but when she said she told her first lie at 25, I mean, that in itself was a lie, because she lied to her college roommates and sweetmates when mm-hmm. she was in college. So... So she was and she, she, was and she wasn't, and I'll she, say in that And she
0: does not sound like she feels bad about it.
1: Yeah, that's one thing. And I, with a caveat, I haven't talked to her and I'm not in her head. Right. So I, I can't say how she feels. But I can tell you that the people around her do not feel like she had... Remorse for what she's done. And even on that show, Dr. Phil said it, she didn't really seem sorry or seem even to to grasp the gravity of the harm that she had had caused and And I think that's common if if anyone hasn't listened, I, I would encourage you to at least listen to episode five because I had a very interesting conversation with a psychiatrist uh, in that and and he talks about the difficulty and the complexity of people who exhibit this kind of behavior.
0: Okay, now on the show, she says she, she has a lying addiction. Now, from your conversations uh, with the mental health professional, is that an accurate way to describe her behavior? Is there a specific condition
1: that can explain her actions? There is, and, and again, I, I haven't, I, I don't know if she has been diagnosed with anything uh, and neither did the psychiatrist I talked to. So that's one big caveat to all this. But there is a syndrome called Munchausen syndrome, and in that syndrome, people feign illness for a variety of reasons. And it's and it's a very, it's it's a very deep rooted behavior that's very difficult to overcome. And the motivations I thought the motivations were just attention or sympathy, but actually the motivations are are much more complex than, than that. And, and he explains it in, in that particular interview.
0: Okay, excellent. For those who are just joining us, I'm Cindy Collins. I'm in for Sarah Fensky today. Our guest, Laura Beal, is a former medical reporter for the Dallas Morning News. She's writer and producer of Sympathy Pains. This is currently the number one podcast on iTunes. And it tells the story of a woman from Highland, Illinois, named Sarah DeLashmitt and her decades of conning friends and acquaintances. Now, Laura, when police in Highland, Illinois, traced her fraudulent purchase of a high-performance bicycle, because she often, uh, she would get these nonprofit organizations to provide her money to buy these things that that she said she needed for her health conditions. But she bought that bike and had it shipped across state lines, and that's when Highland uh, police realized it was a federal case. And Assistant U.S. Attorney Luke Weisler Talk to you about what it was like when the head of the fraud unit assigned him that case.
2: And said, you know, there's there's a new case that I want you to handle. There's a, a woman who has faked breast cancer and muscular dystrophy, uh, has most likely defrauded some nonprofits. You mentioned that, that she had largely confessed to, to the conduct on national television. I think my reaction was probably the same as... As most people that first hear about this case, there's just kind of disbelief about what happened.
1: He started looking into the evidence that FBI agents and postal inspectors had gathered.
2: When you really think about what it takes to commit that fraud, that she actually went to a camp, actually allowed counselors at that camp to bathe her, to feed her, I mean, to, to, for those counselors to learn after the fact that she was capable of doing all of those things on her own, that is just devastating. It went from a case that I guess on its face just had some bizarre details into a case that was really worth pursuing.
1: He'd seen his share of Medicare scams and fake GoFundMe accounts. This was different.
2: I don't believe that her, her primary or sole objective anyway was just to obtain money.
0: So, Laura, you know, so often when we hear about these fraudulent activities, it is to to bilk people out of money. But what made what made this case so unusual for Luke Weisler?
1: Yeah, and he is he is local. the The case actually went to federal court in East St. Louis, um, and you know, because her motivation, I mean, she was she was. She was tried in court, or not tried, she actually ended up taking a plea deal. But but the reason that law enforcement could get involved was because she had stolen goods and services. Uh, But that was not her motive. That's just the only thing that a court of law covers. And and he talks about this, that, that usually these... Federal fraud cases involve hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, a lot of money. And, and the amount of money that was involved in this case was really very small. Uh, but he felt like she wouldn't be deterred from doing this again unless there was some kind of prosecution. And, and frankly, you know, stealing a couple of racing bikes and some money from disability camps was, was all that really the law could hold her accountable to.
0: And aside from what the law could hold her accountable to, what kinds of damage did she do?
1: I mean, the a lot of the people who she interacted with are still trying to get over it. A lot of them are still in counseling. A lot of them have had just their whole trust shaken. and and some of these are 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 really, really terrible stories. i mean, she she kind of infiltrated a, a group for young breast cancer survivors and so these are very you know emotionally vulnerable people and and who are already experiencing a trauma and she came into that situation and and really exploited that and and added to their you know to to their stress but but the people i've talked to they're they're just like i no longer have the faith in people that i used to have and that's a terrible thing to take from someone
0: that's very sad yeah and and listening to some of them tell their stories in your podcast uh, which again is called sympathy pains you can really you can feel the hurt that they still um it kind of resurfaces as they tell their stories
1: yes yes and and because imagine i mean you you would never doubt this and and they talk about this in the podcast she she entered communities where you don't question. And now even at the camp that she attended in Texas, I mean, there's now on their entry form, they they have to ask people, are you really disabled? I mean, imagine what that does. Wow. And what does it, I mean, I
0: I wonder also what it does to those who maybe didn't get into camp that year, because she was taking their slot or didn't get the bike. You know, To me, those are victims as well, because while she was taking these services, um, somebody else was deprived of them.
1: Yes, there were actual, because she had claimed a financial need for these camps, right. And so there was somebody who didn't get to go to the camp because she took their financial aid slot.
0: And uh, Andrea Smith is one of the sources that you interviewed. She was among one of the first to expose Sarah's lies about having spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. How did victims like Andrea cooperate to expose Sarah?
1: So, so Andrea was one of the early, um, one of the people who identified Sarah early, and she never had any personal interaction with her. But, but Sarah infiltrated a support group uh, that she was trying to uh, th- that she was involved with, um, and so Andrea just started following her and trying to to to, to trace her, and she was instrumental in in that she kept this really long paper trail of everything Sarah had done. And so a lot of the information that I had, uh, the documentation, is documentation that Andrea had kept up. And it was Andrea who first contacted the police in Highland. Really? And that was back in 2006 because she had, Sarah had claimed that she had SMA. And one of the services for people with SMA is you can, you can um, ask to have a quilt made for you, a handmade quilt. And the, the people who make these quilts just spend an inordinate amount of time making them. And they're made out of love for people who, are, who, who do have the illness. Mm-hmm. And she said that she wanted one of those quilts. And, and when Andrea found out about this, she was, she was incensed and and wanted the quilt back and it it seems if you don't if you're not involved in it, it seems like a small thing like oh she she just stole a quilt but these quilts are are such a sacred thing right. in this community and right. to take one just felt like such a violation and so so, uh, so andrea called the fbi <laughs> and the fbi uh referred um it referred the case to the local highland police who got the quilt back by the way
0: well that's good news so you know so much of this series revolves around one question, and that is who is the real Sarah Delashmet? Throughout the course of putting this podcast together, have you gotten closer to answering that
1: question? Not really. I, I have to say, not really. And and Andrea, I asked to Andrea, and she said something profound. She's like, you wonder if even Sarah knows like who she is without hmm. all the lies. And she has a, a loving family in the Highland. I corresponded with some of them, and uh, and I, I I don't know what her need was that triggered this, and I don't know why she didn't get help. I mean, as we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, we also have to be sensitive to the fact to Sarah and her family, and she has mental health needs, and 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 I don't know what they are, and I and I. You know, who of us knows what goes on inside a family right. or in someone's early childhood? I, and I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I tried to talk with her, and she, she didn't want to, which is, of course, her prerogative to say no.
0: Did you learn anything in her not talking to you?
1: You mean what I learned about her family? I, I did learn that she, you know, her parents divorced when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so her her mom and dad were were not close, um, but she has uh, aunts and cousins in the Highland area, and they seem very close and supportive of her. Um, so I, I, I did learn I did learn that, and in the uh, in the episode that the last episode came out today actually, this morning. So if you want to learn what I learned about her family, listen to episode six.
0: Okay. Well, I'm already through, two, and I'm going to binge the rest. I promise that. (laughs) Um, Do you know what Sarah's doing
1: right now? She is... No, I don't. She's out of prison. Uh, She's back home, and uh, she changed her Facebook page, uh, the picture on her Facebook page, um, recently, a few months ago, and, uh, and I, I, don't, I actually don't know what she's doing, but I know she's not in prison.
0: Okay. Well, maybe we'll get a follow-up, because I understand you just did a follow-up episode on Dr. Death as well.
1: Uh, yes, on Dr. Death 3, the third season, the one with uh, Dr. Paolo Macchiarini. And, um, yes, he's in trial now, and those, those updates will be coming soon.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. We appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air?